Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic, and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff. Whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah, and it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles. That's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third party, real time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking. Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love, but here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and today we're challenging stereotypes and taking on a question you might be asking if you're on the hunt for representation. Do you need an asshole lawyer? (music) 
We're continuing our summer of fun here with Seth Away, and I have the perfect guest to help answer the question of aggression in the courtroom. Jean-Vive Torres, attorney at NLG Divorce and Family Law. Jean-Vive, welcome to The Toaster. Thank you for having me. So excited to have you here. This is the first time we've even gotten to meet. And uh, it's just wonderful to have you here and on the show and to hear because you're, you seem like such a genteel person. You, you, you have this calming energy about you. And I have no idea when we started talking about what topics we wanted to talk about on the show that you picked. Oh, we definitely need to talk about the asshole lawyer conversation. How did that even come about? So we're going to start with you defining terms for me. You don't have to be an asshole to be aggressive, right? So an aggressive attorney is is effective, but an aggressive asshole attorney is usually not. So, and it's just because it distracts, you know, what, what an asshole attorney does is kind of distract everyone from what really the issues are. And then, so so when you're, you, 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 you don't need an aggressive attorney and, and I just think it, it depends what you're looking for. So in the divorce situation, a lot of people are looking for that because they're hurt. So they're hurt and the other person hurt them. So they're looking for somebody to kind of like give it back. Like they want somebody to stand up for them, for, for, for them. They want, they want to like get under their person, their person's skins. They, they're looking for somebody that will, that will come in and fight for them. Right or wrong, they, that's what they're looking for, an aggressive attorney. And it, there's nothing wrong with being an aggressive attorney. I mean, you, it, it's, it's effective in some sort of way, but you just don't have to be an asshole. So there's, that's a very different. You could be an aggressive asshole attorney and you're not going to go anywhere. And people know who they are. Like, and that's one of the first questions sometimes that, you know, somebody comes in with papers and they say, well, I got served. And I think one of the first questions I will always ask is, who's on the other side? It, it makes a difference. So I can have the same case, right? Same set of facts. And depending who's on the other side, it will go two different, very different way. And I know sometimes, sometimes I had a client recently that came in and said, Oh, we have a, we have an agreement where it's going to be uncontested. It's going to be easy. I said, who's on the other side? And then they told me the attorney's name. <laughs> And I, I was trying to keep it together. I was like, it's like, I really hope it goes the way you think it's going to go. But I'm just going to warn you that there's a chance that, you know, it just might derail a little bit from, and it did. So it, it just, it depends. It makes, it makes a difference. This gets to the to the next question, I think, though, which is about like how you define the difference between maybe three terms, which is like aggressive versus assertive versus effective, right? Like it it seems like what you're describing is an attorney that is aggressive for the sake of being <laughs> aggressive and not to be necessarily effective. When you could make a divorce go easily and you choose not to by dint of personality, that seems to be a challenge. An aggressive attorney, usually you just want it's somebody that will, like I said earlier, I think it's just going to, you want somebody to bark for you, right? I, I don't know if it's the right term, but like just make some noise just because you're angry. And it, because we're in a divorce, most of my cases are divorces. So, and we get these, these, um, our clients are usually at their worst, you know? And I like to say like, you know, when you're a criminal attorney, um, your client always going to behave their best. You know, and then it's almost easier sometimes to do criminal law because they're well, you know, they, they behave really well during the litigation. Um, and then you take normal folks 
And then you put them in a situation of a divorce or a custody battle or domestic violence and things like that. And then, you know, they're scared to lose their children. They're scared to lose their finances. And, and so you get, you get normal folks at their worst all the time, worst behavior, worse, you know, and it's because they're, that's not, they're not themselves. They're just in crisis, right? So when they're looking for an aggressive attorney, I think a lot of time is they're looking for somebody that's going to fight for them, right? And I, I do think a good attorney is a balance of both. Um, an effect, you know, when you say what's an effective attorney, an effective attorney, you know, is just usually will look at the facts, we'll look at the, the case, at the legal arguments, and then, you know, it's just, in preparation, like I think an effective attorney is always super well prepared. And now, and it, I think that's what makes an attorney great is how much preparation and how much going into a hearing or a trial and things like that. People that you have an attorney all the time that just wings it. And that's just, you know, what are their, you know, I, I, I just think that preparation makes an, a good attorney great. I love how you talk about like m- people when they're hurt. They just want an attorney that barks for them, right? And like the the misconceptions of an aggressive lawyer can come across as a lawyer that's mean or toxic in the courtroom, for example. But I am curious on the other side of that, when your client comes to you and says, hey, I want you to bark, right? I need you as my attorney to essentially be the aggressive sort of asshole attorney that I, I, my emotional core needs you to be right now because I'm hurt. How do you adapt to that when you're tasked with that? Is that something that you? Yeah, I do both. Are, are, do you do? Yeah. Maybe this is okay. I can do both. Um, it's just not being a pushover. It's really standing for your client's best interest and the children's best interest. So usually when somebody calls, somebody asks me, Hey, I need you to, and, and I need you to be a bulldog, right? I need you. And, then have I I do both right I as I I I do think that when you are calm and then when you you don't get your emotion into your clients' cases what I see a lot is attorneys sometimes take it very personal they they'll, they'll take almost the the client case instead of fact as it's happening to them or they take very personal they get very emotionally involved and this is where sometimes the attorneys just become complete assholes. Because it's almost like because they they're feel like happening to them, right? It's their emotion. It's like you need to detach yourself. As some, they're not trying to be insensitive, but these you're there to help and try to resolve and try to get a positive outcome for your client that's going through a very difficult time and situation. Is if you put your own emotion into it, I mean, this is how things derail sometimes. And then, but how do you adapt? I mean, often enough, my client, like you know, I will tell them. I can be aggressive, but also I don't play the games. I, I'm not going to be an asshole. I'm not going to bend a rule or not follow. And I've had situation in the in the hallway at the courthouse where the attorney like or yelled at me, for example, like curse, yell, call me name, and it's not it's not professional, and it's not professional, and it's also when this is an example of the attorney getting too emotionally involved in the case. And then, and I just walk away from it. There's no reason. And I think sometimes, like, if you, if you stay calmer and you just stay calm, I think my son's in the back. If you just stay calm, it, it almost gives a bigger rise on the other side than if you don't get into it. But I just, I don't, I don't play the asshole game. I could be, I could be assertive, uh, I'm aggressive, but I don't need to go where you kind of just, like, it, it becomes unprofessional. 
And then we know the attorneys. I mean, we all know each other. Like I said earlier, like, and I don't think in the courtroom, the judge knows too. They know, you know, they, it doesn't help. It, in, in, in the ha- being an asshole in court usually backfires anyway. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. I, this one, this one you got me thinking about. Um, I, I didn't expect to go down this road, but you said, you know, when, when attorneys start feeling like it's happening to them, then the emotion gets involved. Uh, that's when things can, can get difficult. I'm curious though, like you are a family law attorney and you're a professional at this, but you're also a human being. Like, do you find you have any triggers that you're, that you have to, to constantly sort of be aware of that, that make you emotional? What does that look like? Yeah. Anything related to when the parents use the kids as pawns, you know, like they use the kids um, to get what they want. They're not thinking about the kids. They're thinking about what they want because they're hurt right now. And they're denying time sharing for no reason. They're called, they're, they're talking about the other parent in a negative way. They're angry at them, but it's still their dad. Like they didn't ask for that. The kids did not ask for the divorce, right? So that's not what they want. And they're going through a lot. And to add, like, to see your parents fight in front of you, to call each other name and things like that, it's just, this is, this is unnecessary. And then it, it, it just had so much anxiety on those children that's always going through a difficult situation. So anytime that, like, children are overly involved, overly, like, I just think it's so sad. And it, it, it does get me. And domestic violence, we do domestic violence too. And that, that's hard, you know? So to see sometime, like I've had videos of, you know, home videos and things like that, that people catch on their like personal camera and you see the domestic violence that happen or the children in those situations screaming and crying and getting hurt. And it's really hard to watch. So, so those, you know, that definitely gets, but, and then you try, I mean, like, I, I mean, I, you try not to get emotionally involved sometimes and it happens. I mean, it happens to me too. Sometimes I get, you know, if I know, you never know because it's never there, but sometimes, you, you, you know, there's always two sides of two story, right? Like you, you only hear what my client says. But when you have these videos sometimes, when you have these evidence, it's hard not to like also like, like, not personal, but I'm just saying it's hard not to not get emotionally involved. And it's draining. I mean, you go home at night and all day long, you've dealt with people that are unhappy or fighting or you know, are being mean to each other and the kids are sad. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to go home and just unwind and like, and leave all that at the office. And you do your best to do that because you don't want to affect your personal life. But, and then, but then it doesn't stop when you go home. I mean, most of my clients have my cell phone. So they'll text me, call me, you know, weekends, nights with problems or emergencies or the police is here or, you know, what do I do? Or, and, and then, you know, or domestic violence. Like I've had people call me like in the middle of domestic violence incident and instead of calling 911, they're calling my cell phone. And I was like, call 911. Like I, you know, I mean, I'm just saying like, but that, that's difficult sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it. I, I'm, I'm curious if that, you know, when we talk about when emotion gets the better of you, you know, and it, it triggers that sort of asshole uh, attorney kind of emotional response. Are there, are there potential ethical issues that you need to watch out for for aggressive overly aggressive lawyering 
Anything the bar would get upset about? Yes. So there's actually a, a board or committee or something where you could report other attorney's behavior like that, like the colleague's behavior. And I've been involved in a couple, not that I've reported anybody, but I've been called as a witness, for example. Like, you know, some, some attorney reported the attorney saying that their conduct was unprofessional and I happened to be a witness to some of it. So I got brought in and then, yeah, the attorney gets sanctions. I mean, don't get sanctioned as far as like, you know, you have to do anger management classes. So they, they'll do, they'll get sanctioned in that way. Like they have to, like, they'll get reprimanded as an extension, maybe reprimanded. Um, but there's, you can report anonymously other attorneys' conduct and behavior when you think it's unethical and unprofessional. And yes, they'll investigate. There's a, there's a board or that will investigate. And then, and like I said, I was called a couple of times as, as a witness for that. And then and, and my understanding is that I did get a copy of the report and the attorney was uh, reprimanded. And then they had a things that some things he had to do. You mentioned that when the uh, opposing counsel is the aggressive one and, you know, you're, you're telling the story about the, you know, you, you find out who the opposing counsel is and you're like, this is not going to be easy. Yeah. I, I'm curious what you do in that case. Like if I'm your client and you come back to me and say the other the opposing counsel is is known, has a reputation for this. What do you tell me? to make me feel comfortable that you still can get something done, that we still can work toward a resolution when my interest is just getting to the other side of it. Because I can imagine I might feel like there, this is the unstoppable force, like the other attorney is just going to stonewall everything just for the sake of being a, a jerk about it. Well, most of the time I'll have experience with attorney. I've been doing it for probably I think 15 years now. So a lot of, a lot of the attorney I've, I've had multiple times over the years, you know, in cases. So when I say that is because I personally experienced it, right? And I know how to deal with an attorney and I know. So, but ultimately you're going to get divorced, right? Or whatever your case is, you're going to get divorced. You're going to be an end to it. The law is the law. The facts are the facts. So you could, you could be as big of an asshole as you want on the other side. The outcome is. Sometimes the outcome is, is not going to make a much difference to the outcome, right? So, so it's just going to something prolong the process. And that's what's frustrating is sometimes that's something that should be resolved in two to three months, you know, it might take nine, 10, 11 months just because there's either delay or, you know, overlawing, like, like being over. Uh, litigious, like, you know, you're just filing all these motions for no reason. So what's frustrating is, and I can't control that sometimes, is is it could cause a delay, you could litigate longer, and it costs more money. And then I, it's frustrating sometimes for the client because it's like, well, this should be so easy, so, you know, cut and dry. And, but it's not. And then, you know, they're ending spending more money in attorney's fees. And, well, can I get my money back? You can't. You, you, unless they're doing something that's frivolous, well, you know, they have the right to have their day in court, even though you think it should have been done now. So, And your job is to respond. Yeah, ultimately, we'll get it done because of who it is on the other side. Sometimes it gets a little longer, costs a little bit more money, but I can't control that. I'm, I'm curious about lawyering style when, when it comes to developing a, your personality as a lawyer. I, where does that come from? A lot of it is who you are too. So I'm, I always feel that I get more out of, out of the other side or more information or I get more effective if I'm nicer. That's a, for example, say we have a deposition, 
you know, in the situation of a deposition. This is when you put somebody under oath, you ask a bunch of questions that you need for your case to prepare for trial. So I usually like to have a conversation with a person and I feel like I get more information when you're nicer to the person, even though, you know, I'm not trying to be your friend, but I just feel like you get more with honey, like you'll, you'll say then. Than vinegar, right? So I apply that a lot when I when I litigate, and sometimes when I have to deal with the other person in a deposition setting, or even sometime in the hearing, I just feel that when you show respect and when you're nicer, you'll get more. If I stop, if I start being nasty or you know more direct, or um, my tone is a little bit more. Gosh, I don't want to say bitchy, but it's like a little bit more like. <laughs> Yeah, whatever like words cold, work right <laughs> yeah um the person will shut down on the other side so they won't they will they, they, they will feel attacked first of all they'll be defensive and then you know a response i'm looking for now is going to become a yes or no response versus the person would have elaborated right give me more information and sometimes when they give you more information have a conversation they give you information that you didn't know or you could use or didn't realize you know they just share you know, people like to share. So when you're having conversation, they're more likely and to they just give me more information in the case. So, so I approach a lot of some like situation like that in that way. If, um, but I mean, if the person, you know, doesn't react well or is an asshole and the guys have deposed plenty of opposing party that are complete asshole from the beginning, that, you know, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm not sure style, right? I just, I'll just go there. But I don't necessarily think you need that. So I think, you know, but I, I just think a balance of both, it, it just makes a better attorney. And I'll share, like, I hired, um, so I went to a divorce um, last year. And before I even joined NLG, I hired Seth, right, for my own divorce. <laughs> so really? I did. I so, did not know that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been all set for for long, as long as I've been practicing, right? So three cases, use him as a mediator, just so. But I need it in my situation, and like I wanted somebody like that. So he's my top. You know, I had like in my mind three attorney on my list of who I'm gonna call if you know if I need to call somebody. And set the first one I call, and I explain what was going on, and then I hired him because I needed his style. He gets a rise out of. Other, like the other side by just he's so calm like but then you could you could switch it to so he's so calm like in the position setting and then it gets the other person to show the true colors he's very good at the way he questions somebody to make him like i said make him show the true color but he's think so calm in the same way in the courtroom then he you'll flip the switch and he could be super aggressive if he needs to but not like not like an asshole aggressive just a good balance of both and then, but then again, he could switch and, um, in settlement mode, right? And when we start negotiating an agreement, you know, looking really what's best for me and for my future versus the whole, we're out to get him, right? Like we're kind of just, it, so he's a really good balance of all of that. And that's why I hired him when I went for my own, um, divorce. Fascinating. That, I mean, just, just in terms of hearing you talk about his style is, it, it sort of demonstrates the answer to that question that, that like, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated, especially because your job is so 
performative, right? Like there's the law is the law, the laws. I, I get that. But at some point, you might find yourself standing up and talking in front of people where it really matters what you convey in terms of your whole sort of being, your demeanor, your attitude. And that style question, I think, really comes to comes to play. And, um, uh, you know, whether you whether you end up being an aggressive asshole lawyer or, a, a you know, a lawyer that's come to negotiate and come to settle, I, I think somehow comes from those that you get to watch do great lawyering. Let's just let's just paint a picture. You're standing in front of a class of young law students who haven't practiced law professionally and they know they want to be lawyers, but they don't have their own style. Everything they know about lawyering, they've learned on TV. What do you tell them about defining their own style of practice when it comes to aggression and performance i used to go once a year at usf so and address like they or even at stetson they address there was a judge that's retired now judge gross he would invite me every year to talk to the students uh about you know what it is depending you know where in my life so i used to be like before i had kids so like how do you how do you, you know, a first year attorney, second year attorney, how do you balance life, right? And being in your turn. And it was like when you get married and when you have kids and this and that. So I would go back every year and then just talk to the students. So as far as like the lowering style of how you found your own style, I just, I think a lot of it is who you are, honestly. And I just think that, that every case, I approach every case with like, you know, start, we start fresh, we're respectful. Um, you know, these are the facts. These are what's going on. How do we get this resolved? How do we get what my client needs? What's in the best interest of the kids? And then, so you don't need to approach it, you know, aggressively from the beginning. And then sometime, I mean, don't maybe have to. I mean, there's, I mean, like I said, we're dealing with emergencies and people's losing their families and losing their kids, thinking of losing their kids or finances or, so, I mean, there's, there's emergencies and there's time that need to be aggressive because the other person is not paying child support or is not, you know, cut them off like all the credit card. There's no access to money. There's no uh, denying time sharing. And we get that all the time, almost every day. They're not losing my kids, you know, and sometimes they'll do like, unless I give them money, then I don't get to stay my kids. And those are situations that you have to like handle it a little bit sometimes aggressively just because it's just the nature of it, right? But I, I think, like I, like I said a, f- a few times, I think a great attorney is a good balance of both, just minus the asshole part. Yeah, minus the asshole part. <laughs> All right. You are fantastic. But we, and as an attorney, so grateful that you you were able to join me for this conversation. I, I But as a human being, you also have a fascinating background. What do you do with your life when you're not lawyering? How did you end up here? Let's talk about tennis, really, is what I want to talk about. Wow. Okay. So I was recruited to play tennis for USF when I was 19, 18, um, from Montreal. So spoke French uh, my entire life. I was, that was my first language. I learned English here. Didn't speak one word in English when I moved. So I was wow. just turned just turned 18, actually, because I, I came in January 1999. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they speak a word in English. They assigned me a tutor to help me after school. And then I was meeting with tutor every day and they were helping my homework. I was in a class learning how to speak English, English, um, at USF. And then, but I, at the same time, I was learning to speak English, but I was English one on one. 
right? So I had to do both because you have to do a college course. So that's how I came to the U.S. I played four years for USF tennis. Then, um, then I got married. So I got married. Um, and I stayed here. I went to law school at Stetson, started working in law firm. I started as a fall clerk, moved my way up to from legal assistant to paralegal to file uh, law clerk. And then, um, then an attorney. So I kind of held all the positions, you know, that, that, so it's easy. I, I also had my own firm for 13 years. So I had family for Salgu for 13 years before I joined SAT. On the off time, I got four kids. Um, so I got one from every part of So I have a five-year-old, six-year-old, 14-year-old, 17-year-old. So I got, <laughs> I got high school. Oh I got God. high school. I got mid, although not two in high school because I had a senior in high school. Now I'm going to be a freshman in high school. I got elementary school and kindergarten. So I really got all of it. And I'm exhausted. <laughs> I know, that. I know, I know. And I still play tennis. I took up golf, so I'm playing golf now. So I was going to say after this, I'm probably going to. It's really nice outside. It's Friday afternoon. Oh, well, you should take advantage of it. Well, I, I, I'll let you get to golf for sure. But uh, <laughs> it, thank you, thank you so much for hanging out. You're fantastic, and I'm so glad to to finally get to connect and have you on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're super welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. Uh, we still have a, a couple more weeks of our summer of fun. And uh, as Seth is off, <laughs> once again, getting married. And uh, we're thrilled to, to be able to continue to talk while he is off celebrating uh, his uh, nuptials. So um, thank you, everybody, for downloading listening to the show. We appreciate your time and your attention. Don't forget, you can ask us questions, howtosplitatoaster.com. Until then, on behalf of Genevieve Torres, I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.